Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Uprock Church. I hope you got some good sleep in last night and uh, you managed to rest up. So we're excited about today. Wanna, I just wanted to open up this morning just with one quote that is my favorite quote. Uh, well, one of my favorite quotes. It says this, and it's written by a guy called David Watson. He said, all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. Both word and spirit, we grow up. Right? Amen. So we need everything. We need both of it. We need to experience uh, the fullness of God's presence in His Word, as well as in the manifestations that He wants to sort of release on us, through us. But we're not seeking the manifestations. We're seeking the King. And so I want to just open up for us in prayer, and then I'm going to ask John to get up here and get us going, because we want to give him as much time as he, as he can possibly get to take us where we're going today. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we exalt you this morning. We lift you up. We pray that you would be pleased with us this morning as we gather around you uh, to hear what it is that you have to say to us. And so we know that you're the hero of the story. You're everything uh, to us, and uh, you're the most important object that we can ever aim for in our lives. And so we glorify you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. John, over to you, bud. Yay. Yep. Thank you. Well, let's just jump in this morning. I talk a little bit about discerning uh, prophetic words. Whether you're hearing something from the Lord, somebody is sharing something with you, um, some, some ways to think about uh, prophecies. Like, what's the path to discern? And, and the first is, is comparing it to the plumb line. So what, what is it with Scripture? How, how does it connect? So there, there's, um, well, it's not real revelation. But there are words that come that are actually contradictory to Scripture. That, that's a very easy one. Um, you know, you, you get a prophetic word that is telling you that Jesus is not God. It's pretty easy to recognize. No, this is wrong. Right? There's, there's a clear plumb line that, that is found in Scripture. And, you know, it, it's, it's thinking through the, the main and the plain first. You, you, you start with clear things. There, there are some things that are opinions. And a lot of those opinions actually started by revelation. Somebody got a revelation, quote unquote, and that, that's where they started. We, we have whole denominations that don't even believe in the gifts of the Spirit that were birthed out of somebody's prophetic experience that they got this new revelation and then they split from the rest of the church because they had the truth and not realizing they had a truth. And so that, 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 that thing is, is really, really important. How essential is it to the nature of God and to the path of salvation? Those are, you cannot move those, period. Those do not move. That, that, that is set. By, are you going to sprinkle or are you going to dip? We can have really strong opinions, but who's to say that it really doesn't work if you sprinkle? Or if it only works, if you dip. There, there's, there's been throughout the history of the church, like there's opinion, and, and I've, I, I actually have a strong opinion on that particular thing, but that's not a thing. But I'm not going to get a revelation that I'm going to then tell other people that they have to agree with because I have a revelation that I feel like is from God. If I can't prove it in Scripture, it's not doctrine. It may be helpful for me. 
And, and, you know, in a situation where you cannot, there's just logistically impossible to actually dip someone and you sprinkle someone, you can get a revelation that that's okay. And that's okay to do that. That, that, that actually, it, it doesn't violate scripture and it works for the situation and it's a word for a time, not the word for all time. And, and that, that's key. So the first thing is, it is it anti-biblical? Does it actually contradict scripture? Throw it out. You, you don't have to go any further than that. But there's a lot of things that are what we would call extra biblical, meaning you, you can't find it in scripture, right? You're not going to find in scripture God telling you to buy a red car, but can God tell you to buy a red car? Yes. Yeah, right? That, that's extra biblical. That, that's not necessarily dangerous. It's not adding to scripture. So extra biblical is never doctrine. It could be good for maybe using something for, for direction. Could be good for correction. Might be good for encouragement. But it's never going to be a foundation that you're going to stand on. And it's never the truth for everybody. And, and this is where a, a lot of times we've gotten off of... Um, well, we kind of created our little streams, is somebody has a genuine experience, a genuine encounter with God, and, and God shows up, and it really happens, and there's real fruit, and it was obviously God, and so they decide that it must be the way that things are supposed to happen, instead of the way that that thing was supposed to happen. So you, you can actually believe that it really was God without saying that everybody has to do exactly the same thing. Right, that you can have conviction of those things and stand firm on what God is speaking without assuming that everybody else has to come into agreement with this thing that, that you have experienced or you think that, that you're hearing. And, and so when, it, when it's extra biblical, that can be okay. It'll never be anti-biblical. But if it's extra biblical, it's possible. But then there are some things that are just clearly biblical. And actually, much of the New Testament was written out of revelations that someone had. I mean, if you take a look and for that word revelation in Paul's writings, you're going to find it again and again in Galatians. The gospel that I preach was not taught to me by any man, but given by revelation. He had this encounter out in the desert, and he sees God, and God teaches him the gospel opens up the scripture, he has his road to Emmaus experience, and then he spends the rest of his life proclaiming what he got in that revelation. Now, what he got in that revelation, he could prove through scripture. It didn't add to scripture, it didn't change scripture. Everything in the New Testament is actually already in the Old Testament, it was just veiled until the New Testament came. And so they're, they're constantly pointing back. Those revelations, they, they, they were not new revelations. They were awakening something that was already in Scripture that hadn't been seen yet. And, and there will be times when God will speak to you. And sometimes it may be something that you've already heard. Maybe you heard somebody teach it in the past, and it was, in for, it was oh, that's interesting. But then God speaks to you and all of a sudden it's life changing and it becomes a mark in your life that, that is core to who you are and to what you do. 
Now, that, that doesn't happen to everyone, but when that does happen, they're, they're, they're generally keys that are there. Um, so we, we, our tea's coming tomorrow. If you read through a, a few of his books, hear him talk about his, his history, um, he'll talk about certain experiences that he had with God that marked him. They, they've actually set a, a pattern. I don't know that he would use this language, but it's clear from his story. Like they've set a pattern for, for his ministry, some of the emphasis, but because he's founded in Scripture. And there, there are some things that he thought were life-changing. He actually talks about it in his new book, Prophetic Integrity. There's some things that he thought were life-changing, and he found out actually it wasn't God. And he had to, to you know, come back and say, well, actually, I missed that one. So you, when you find it in Scripture, then it can become a foundation. But here, here's the thing. It, it can't be something that is absolutely unique that you need to have special glasses on to be able to find in Scripture. It's going to be something that's clear. It's going to be something that to other people is also obvious once it's pointed out, if it's going to be a foundational issue. Uh, there's a, a saying, it's one of, one of my favorite quotes uh, about Scripture. Too many people use the Bible like a drunken man uses a lamppost. More for support than illumination. We, we're not looking for a proof test text for our script for our experience that you have to take out of context. Now that can happen. You ever look at how the New Testament uses some of the scriptures in the Old Testament? I mean, just go to Acts chapter one. And look at the verses out of Psalms that Peter uses to say that they need to have another, somebody to replace Judas. Look at them in context and do normal exegesis. You will never get what Peter said that that meant. It's completely out of context. So look at how uh, Paul uses uh, um, Psalm is it 168 verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, it's completely out. And he actually changes the words of the verse to support his scripture, and it's, it's out of context, but he's making a point, and the point works, and you can see that, that point. That there, the, so that you have two different things. One, you, you have the, 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 the Acts chapter 1 passage. That was not establishing that there must always be 12 apostles and, and constantly. It wasn't creating a new doctrine. It was giving them direction. Here's what we're supposed to do right here, right now. God can take a verse out of context to do that, and he does, and he does, but it doesn't become a new teaching. It's just, it's just information, and it's the same as if you're watching a TV show, and God pulls a line out of that TV show and uses it to speak to you, or you're having a conversation with somebody, or, or you have a dream. It, it's, it's just God is using that as a vehicle to communicate something. And he can use anything as a vehicle. He can use a donkey as a vehicle, like we talked about last night. Right? He, he can use anything as a vehicle. So, so the issue is, are, are we listening and are we trying to make it like everybody needs to hear this? Or are we allowing, um, allowing God to speak and not making more of it than what it needs to happen? So the scriptural test, 
Anti-biblical, throw it away. Extra-biblical, it's possible, it's good, it's going to be individual or for a, a small group of people, but it's never going to create doctrine. Clearly biblical, it's going to set a foundation. Like there, there, are, there are certain things, that there, there are experiences that I've had that have marked me, and they're, they're, they're core. There's three of them specifically that, that I've had that, that are probably, they, they formed my life, but they're all clearly in Scripture. One, one is about service and understanding what it means to actually be a servant. One, one of them is understanding union with Christ and, and what, that, what that actually means and what that actually looks like. And one of them is trusting in God's ability to, to fix my mistakes. That those, those three experiences, the most profound experiences that I've had, but they, they're, they're foundations. But when I teach those principles, I rarely talk about the experiences. I'm generally talking about the scripture that proves it out coming back to the nature of Christ. So the foundation is not the foundation on the revelation. The revelation just illuminated the foundation that was already there. Do you see that difference? So those kinds of things, clearly biblical. So that's the first thing. How does it line up with the plumb line? The next one is, is looking at the nature of God. When God speaks, it's going to fit into his nature. Uh, he, he is unchangeable. The, the word we often use is immutable. There's no changing with him. James says there's no shifting of shadows with him. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't become different. And so you, you can actually discern the source of revelation by the way that it comes because whether or not it actually fits who God is. One of the, one of the things to look at is the difference between condemnation versus conviction, Right? Condemnation is about identity, and it leaves you without hope. Conviction is about action, and it calls you to repentance. God will convict, but he doesn't condemn. He, he, he will point out your sin and tell you to stop it. But he's not going to say, well, you've messed up, and you have no chance, you have no hope. I mean, you're never going to get better. You're, you're the, the one case that I've never been able to fix. Like that, that's just not God. And so you, you use this as a way to discern revelation. Well, I'm, I'm getting revelation about this situation. Why isn't this happening? Well, it's because you're bad. Oh, I know I'm bad. Well, what did you do? I don't know, but I did something. No, 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 no. that's the enemy. That's not God. That's not God. That, that, that's about identity. That's condemnation. That, that's not conviction. Why isn't this happening? When you did this, you haven't dealt with that issue. Oh, and you're cut to the heart. Oh, God, forgive me. And then you're free. That's conviction. There's a clear difference in those things. So, you know, one of the things we're trying to discern how to move forward with God. He's given us promises. He's maybe given us paths, destiny that we're moving towards and things don't work out which is pretty normal. We live in a fallen world. Like It's overcoming difficulties that are key to developing the strength. It's more about the journey more often than it is the destination. When, when we run into those roadblocks, 
figuring out what's God and what's not God, this one is really key. Conviction versus condemnation. The next one, manipulation versus invitation. All right, how, how it comes across this, um, the, the difference between someone being given options because they, are, they have freedom versus someone being forced to do something. I, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. Right? That, I mean, this is God speaking. John chapter 15, verse 15. Like, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. The slave doesn't know what, why the master is doing what the master is doing, but I'm going to invite you into the conversation. Doesn't mean God doesn't tell us what to do, but there's a difference in how he does it. He gives us invitations. He, he opens things up. And, and there's requirements for our disobedience, yes, but those are not the requirements of manipulation. Those are the requirements of you go down this path and this happens. You go down this path and this happens. Don't choose this. Not good. This is good. You get to choose. And he'll let you choose the bad. It'll let you go down that path and pay the price of it because you have freedom. And he'll, he will give you warnings, but he's not going to manipulate. So how revelation comes across. Now, here's one of the keys that you're going to have to deal with, especially when other people are sharing revelation with you. You're going to have to deal with your own heart. Because somebody can be giving you an invitation, and if you haven't dealt with the fear of rejection, it can feel like manipulation. Because you feel like the world is going to end if you disappoint that person. And that's actually your problem, not theirs and not the revelations. So you, you've got to deal with that thing that, that's, that's there in the heart, because you can actually misrepresent what's going on. So you, you've actually got... Well, what did it actually say? Now we're coming back to what we talked about last night. Four aspects of a prophetic word. Revelation, interpretation, application, proclamation. What was the revelation? Okay, that's actually not manipulative. There is nothing in that revelation that said, if I don't do this, the world's going to end. That actually was an invitation. I put that pressure on myself. God's not putting that on me. Um, you can also tell, I mean, in discerning how, how people share revelation, whether or not they're coming from the right place. I, I had, a, had a lady come to me. Uh, she was one of our intercessors, and she'd been a part of our church for well, like four or five years. So she was actually there when I came on as a pastor uh, and uh, she was, you know, she's one of the probably more gifted prophetically people that was, was in the church. And she, she, she asked for a meeting and she sits down and starts to explain to me how she's had two or three other times where she's had revelation that's come to her in the way that this word that she's getting ready to share with me came. And uh, each time, like one person that, that she shared the revelation with, they didn't do it and they, they were dead within six months. And one person that she shared the revelation with, and they didn't do it, and they lost their church within the next year. Um, and if I didn't listen, that I was going to lose the church. And then she begins to proceed to tell me the revelation. It was basically that this other person that also happened to be an intercessor and also happened to be extremely gifted um, was a witch. And if I wasn't really careful that it was going to 
you know, that God was going to remove me from being a pastor. I could feel the manipulation that was going on. Like, there's, there's manipulation there. There's something wrong. There's something there. Thankfully, I dealt with some fear issues. I, I wasn't really worried that God was going to judge me and remove the church because I didn't shut somebody down that I didn't know that they did anything wrong. So, and, and just feeling that manipulation, I, I just, I'm like, okay, thank you. And I ignored it. And three years later, the person that gave the warning was gone. They'd been gone for a while. And the person that I'd been warned about was still one of the most faithful people that was part of the church. And I'm still in relationship with that person 15 years later. The other person I haven't heard from for about 10, 12 years. They just completely disappeared. What was really going on was a person was jealous and they didn't realize their own jealousy. So they manufactured revelation that fit their jealousy, they, that fit the wound that was in their heart. And they had, quote unquote, revelation. It was a real experience that they had. They just didn't realize that they were the source of their own experience. And we'll, we'll talk about how you can create your own prophetic experiences in a little bit. But that, that's why we have to discern, because not everything that, quote unquote, happens is actually from God. Not every dream that you have is actually from God. Not every vision that you have is actually from God. Not, not every thought that you have is actually from God. You, you have to discern through those things. So manipulation versus invitation. And then there's a, an old term. Um, uh, it was made popular by St. Ignatius of Loyola in the 1500s. Desolation versus consolation. And uh, I I Ignatius did a lot on how to discern the will of God and discern revelation. There's some really, uh, he calls it the prayer of examine. Um, and, and he talks about this difference uh, of, you know, what he calls desolation and consolation. Desolation, it's, it, you, you start doing something or you start moving in a direction and it feels like all the life drains out of you. It, it feels hard, it feels heavy, it feels difficult. And he used uh, the passage out of Matthew chapter 10, all you who are heavy laden, burdened down, come to me that you may find rest. That there's a clear discerning of what is actually God by the light and easy yoke versus the heavy burden. And whenever you feel a heavy burden, something that's not God is involved in that. Whether that is your own response to it, whether it's you're doing the wrong thing, there's something there. If it's actually God, it's going to be a light and easy yoke. And so there, there's a discerning process. The consolation is when you feel that pleasure, you feel that life. I, I come alive when, when I do that. Was a, there's a famous um, saying, I feel the, the, the pleasure of God when I run. It was Chariots of Fire, I can't remember the guy's name, the Scottish runner. Like, yeah, I, I feel the pleasure of God when he runs. That, that's consolation. Like I'm in, the, I'm in God's will in, in this moment. And so looking at desolation versus consolation, it's a great way to discern whether it's the will of God or, or whether it's coming from God, does it give you that sense of just sucking the life out of you and, and giving you dread? It's probably not God. Now, that might be a false belief inside of you. So you, you've got to be honest with yourself. If you're not honest with yourself, you, you're, you're going to have a really hard time discerning anything. Because the, the power of ourselves to deceive ourselves is extremely great. Right, I mean, Jeremiah, the heart of man is, is desperately wicked. 
Like our, our capacity to deceive ourselves is great. We need humility. We need absolute honesty, self-honesty, and honesty with others. And we need to let God come into those pains, those difficulties that we've had to bring healing and correction and direction into those things so that we can trust ourselves to discern the will of God. Um, once you've dealt with that, then one of the ways, it, but you, you do want to ask the question, are, is it really desolation or is it just difficult? Sometimes God does call you to difficult things. So sometimes it's, it's actually pressing through something that's hard, but, but when you really get to it, it's not really desolation. It's not sucking the life out of you. It's just hard. And there's a difference between those two things. And then also on the other side, in consolation, is it actually because it's giving you life or is it because it's easy and you like the idea of it? Is it feeding your ego? Is it feeding your pride? Is it feeding your... Like, is it actually your soul that's feeling that, or is it the spirit? And, and, and being honest with those things is, is key. Another one is pride versus service. Uh, this, um, yeah, I will go there. Um, I, I, I've just seen so many times in going to prophetic um, Conferences having prophetic people coming into the church, traveling with prophetic people. Not everybody, but it, it, probably 10% of the people that I've been around, that they, they will most often find somebody that is either influential or rich and give them prophetic words that puff them up. And that I don't know, some of them actually know what they're doing. Um, I, I've actually had somebody was, you know, trying to explain to me how it's, you know, it's strategy. You know, when you're a prophetic person and you come into a congregation, make sure that you give the pastor a good word because that's how you're going to get back. What if God's not saying anything? Like, I mean, there, you know, so they, 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 there's, you know, some people that actually, they don't realize how bad it is, but they actually are doing it consciously. Some of them have no idea what they're doing, but they're, they're doing it anyways. But one of the easy ways to discern, is it making the person full of pride? Is it puffing their ego or is it calling them to service? Because something from God is going to call somebody from, to service. Something from the enemy is going to make somebody full of pride. Oh, you're so gifted. Nobody recognizes how gifted you are. You've been overlooked so many times, but you're so special. I mean, is, is that necessarily not true? I mean, it might be true, but is that actually helpful to tell somebody? Wouldn't it be more helpful to say something like, you know, you know there's been times where people haven't recognized what God has given you to do. And that's become a poison inside of your heart. And unless you forgive, you'll never actually be able to walk forward into God's call in your life. And now all of a sudden you've called truth out of somebody. Instead of feeding the poison, you've actually given them the antidote. Um, you know, we have these puffy prophecies. Um, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. Anybody want to be a prophet to the nations? 
It's real easy. Just get on Facebook and type a prophecy. It's done. It goes to the nations. You're there. So everybody's a prophet to the nations. That means absolutely nothing. Actually, it really doesn't. That doesn't mean anything. What are they going to do? What is that going to look like? What is it that they get to do that's a part of this? Like There's a service that's being called to. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And this was said in the context of showing us what it's like to... To, to operate in ministry, because they were trying to argue, like, who's the greatest? And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how many times you, you get in certain circles, and it feels like the church is more like American Idol than it is the body of Christ. Everybody trying to show off their gifts so that they can be the next thing discovered and get their 15 minutes of fame. Rather than being a part of a family which requires sacrifice, which requires working through problems, which requires honesty, which requires pain, but gives joy that you can't find any other place. There's a difference from popular Christianity and what God has called us to in the family of God. Is it feeding pride or is it calling people to service? So the nature of God, like these are key aspects of who God is that's being revealed. He will always speak out of himself because it's who he is. Um, I'll leave that one go. Don't need to follow that rabbit. Context. So one of the other things in trying to discern whether or not it was God or not is, is context. Do you fit the word? Does the word fit you? So, God's going to speak to you about who you are. If you are, um, well, let me just, I'll back up a little bit. At some level, there's things that God's going to call you to that you don't have to figure out if there's context. One-off actions. Maybe your norm is not operating in a high level of generosity every moment, but you're standing in the grocery store and you feel like God says to pay for the groceries of the person behind you. Just do it. Like, well, that's not how God normally speaks to me. Uh, who cares? Like, what's it, what's it actually going to cost you? I mean, $300, $500, $100, like, okay. Like, that's not a big deal. Just to be obedient, what if that changes somebody's life? Like, who, who cares? Just do it. There, there's certain things. You, you just, oh, I'm going to go up, you know, go, go talk to this person and tell them about the gospel. Well, I don't know if that's really God. I, I've not really been using evangelism. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Right? These, these are good things. They're biblical things. And you have a prompting. It really doesn't matter if it was God or if it was you. Just do it. It's good. Go for it, right? But, but there's certain things that, that are at a different level. They're, they're a little bit bigger. They're going to set a life course or maybe the course of a season. Those things, you're going to have to figure out whether or not they fit in context, right? If you're getting a word about how to govern the country, are you actually going to be governing the country? 
probably not really from God. It's probably your own ideas or something that you heard. Maybe it's your opinions that are, are, are veiling themselves as quote-unquote revelation. Maybe it's just a call to intercede and you're not supposed to tell anybody. Too many times we get something like that and we use it to criticize those who are actually running the country instead of using it to build up and strengthen and pray or just to leave it lay. Um, you know, if you have no capacity at all, like your hands are not steady and you don't know about the body and you get a dream about doing brain surgery, that's not the right context, right? That doesn't fit. That has to mean something other than go do brain surgery. Now, that doesn't mean you don't ask the Lord. Lord, am I actually supposed to go to school and figure this out? Because maybe he does want you to spend the next 12 to 13 years in medical school and become a brain surgeon. Like, there, there's a possibility, but do you, do you have the, the capacity? Do you have the physical capacity, the mental capacity? Do you have the time? Is this actually from God? Like, there's context things that, that are going to be key. If, he's, if you're hearing something and it doesn't fit into anything in your life, there, there's two things that are going on. Either it's not actually God. Well, three things, sorry. Either it's not actually God. Two, it's just for intercession. You're, you're just supposed to pray it and then you leave it lay. Or three, it, it's for another season and there's nothing you can do about it right now. And you, you just get to wait. And then if the door ever opens, then you can see whether or not there, there's something there. But you can't make anything happen. We're going to talk more about how to respond here in a second and discerning the, those different types of revelation. But context is, is key uh, about that. God will usually speak to you about what you have authority over. God will usually speak to you about what you have authority over. Who got the dream about seven years of famine and seven years of plenty? Pharaoh, because Pharaoh was the king. Joseph helped him interpret it, but Pharaoh got the dream. Joseph didn't get the dream. It wouldn't have done any good for Joseph to get the dream. It didn't matter how well he heard from God. Nobody cared. He wasn't the king. The king got the dream. You get it. All right, Nebuchadnezzar gets the dream about his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar gets the dream about him being a tree that gets cut down and then released back. Joseph gets a dream about how to take care of Jesus and protect his life. You are given things related to what you have authority over. If you're getting something that somebody else has authority over, it's just for intercession. Now, if you have relationship where, for any other reason, like you just had an idea, and you would have an open door because of relationship to share your idea, then you can share that revelation. Now, direction revelation. Correction revelation. But revelation never gives you the right to trump relationship. If you don't have relationship to talk about it, it's either not God or it's not intended for you to be a part of it. 
Is this making sense? Now, this would save 90% of the problems and the reasons why pastors shut down the prophetic in their church if we'd actually just listen to this. I've talked to a lot of pastors that have had to deal with this. I've had to deal with these issues in, in churches. I, I have close friends of mine. They, they were part of, part of our church. They were our worship leaders. And as soon as we weren't part of the church, they left the church because they were tired of being around the prophetic community because they were tired of everybody telling them what they felt. And it made sense. I understand. People thinking that they had revelation and violating relational boundaries. Like, this is about relationship. God's called us into relationship. We're not these one-offs, like, I'm the, the great prophet of God, and I do whatever I want because God speaks to me, and you better listen because I'm so spiritual. Take a look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. You think you're spiritual, but you're not acting in love. You're worthless. I mean, that's really his language. It's actually what he said. I am nothing. Literally, I have no worth. Uh, that, that's that phrase. There, there's no worth there. Love is the key which is about relationship. God speaks to us out of relationship. The deeper our relationship, like he could talk to us about every little thing in our life, but he waits for us to develop the relationship for him to go to those places. And the more we open, the more that we trust him, the more that we expose. And it's not about him, it's about us. He actually honors our person. He's given us authority. And he doesn't give and take away. He does not say yes, no at the same time. His yes is yes. His no is no. When he said you have authority, he said you have authority, period. You have authority except for when you're not doing what I want that I'm taking it back. I mean, if that was the case, we wouldn't be in any of this trouble. I mean, the reason why there's still problems in the world is because people actually get to be people. They actually get to make choices. And he's not going to give some person that's imperfect that has limited knowledge and limited capacity the right to do what he won't do himself. That's abuse. And it actually comes because somebody doesn't believe that they have any value and they're trying to prove their value by overreaching with their gifting where they haven't been invited. And like I said last night, it's going to come down to, do you actually believe that you're loved? Do you actually believe that he loves you that much? Because if you really believe that he loves you that much, you can just be you without trying to control, prove, change, manipulate. You, you can just be free. There's so much freedom in knowing that you're loved. And if you don't know that you're loved, there's no way to come out of bondage. It's the only way out. The only way out is to come into that revelation of how much he loves. The fourth aspect. So, is it scriptural? Does it fit the nature of God? Does it fit your context? Is it confirmation? One of the questions you want to ask. Have you heard this before? 
Now, at some point in time, a conversation has to start. So God's going to speak to you about things that you've never heard of before. That, that, that's going to happen. But usually it's, it's going to be part of a conversation. If it's something that's big, if he's talking about a life change, if he's talking about something that's going to be costly, it's not going to be a one-off revelation. There's going to be multiple things that are going to bring confirmation that's going to point you in that direction. And so look for that confirmation. If it's something that's brand new, then start praying into it. We'll, we'll talk some more about the, the different ways to respond. I keep on saying that. We'll get there. I'm reminding myself more than you. <laughs> like, I don't have to teach all that yet. I'll get there. Um, but you, 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 you just, you hold on to it. It doesn't mean that you ignore it. It doesn't mean that you, you know, we, we call it putting on the shelf. You ever heard, you know, well, just put it on the shelf until it's ready. Well, when, when, when that's said about the prophetic, that's not the back shelf that's in the closet that you never look in. That, that's the shelf that's sitting right there in the living room so that you're constantly reminded of it so that you don't forget about it in the right time that you don't miss it. So putting it on the shelf is putting it on display so that it's not lost. It's not hiding it away so that you can ignore it. If it's actually from God, you've got to discern is it from God. But if it's from God, that, that's one of those things. But if it's confirmation, what's different than what you've heard so far? Because usually God will give you one piece, but then he starts giving you the rest of the pieces. What to do, and then when to do it, and maybe some other pieces. He rarely tells us how it's going to work out, right? But he'll often give us multiple pieces that give us a better picture so that we understand what our role is. Because if he's going to hold you responsible for something, he's going to give you what you need to, to be able to respond. So, direction. So, those are some ideas on discerning. What are, you, what are your questions? What are your thoughts? <coughs> We're going to bring a mic to you. Because we do have some people online. We want to make sure they hear your question, too. A little bit further on the... Um what you were talking about, let's see. When someone gives you revelation and a person's dealing with rejection and then I miss the rest, I, could you explain that further? You were talking about when somebody comes to you, gives you revelation, and then possibly the person is dealing with the spirit of rejection. Oh, I, I think what I was saying is when we're dealing with rejection... It may feel like it's condemnation, but it's actually not. It's actually conviction. And so that place of self-honesty, when we feel that, we, we need to be really honest with ourselves. Is that feeling, is that me, or is that how it was said? And discern where that came from. Is that in relation to like a prophetic word? So you go up to someone or, you know, in relationship, and yeah. you're giving them the word, and then maybe they reject the word. Is that what you mean? No. Let, let, me, um, let me give you an idea. So uh, rejection. Let, let's say I, I deal with rejection and I'm afraid of failure because I, I made a mistake and I, I, I made a public spectacle of myself when I was in fourth grade. I did something really stupid. Everybody laughed. And I've just never really gotten over that. And, and that wasn't the only time, like, that's been confirmed again and again and again. And now somebody comes up to me and they gives me a word and tells me 
uh, about something that God wants me to do that I think is actually beyond my capacity. And my thought is, oh, I can't do that. I'm, I'm going to mess up. People are, people are going to reject me again. And the pain of that wound inside will filter that word. And I will feel like somebody's putting pressure on me to perform. But the word had nothing to do with pressure to perform. It actually was my own issue that's giving me that pressure because I'm afraid of making a mistake publicly. Do you, do you see what I'm talking about there? Okay, perfect. Yeah, now that, that's very different. Now here's the other side of it. If I'm giving the word and somebody else is receiving, and as I'm giving the word, I have rejection, um, I, I think that you know, maybe, maybe they're not going to think that I'm anointed, or maybe they're not going to listen to me. Maybe I've been shut down again and again and again, and I haven't actually dealt with that pain. And so I have this idea that people aren't going to listen to me. And I just had this thought that I think is from God. But instead of saying, oh, I have this thought that I think is from God, I come up and say, hey, God told me that you have to. Now, all of a sudden, I start adding manipulation onto something that might have actually been God, and I make it bigger than what it is to protect myself from being rejected because I'm afraid of being rejected. So it goes both. It can go either way, uh, but that, that issue is, is a big issue. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good question. Thank you for that. When we're dealing with sometimes with negative manipulation, that kind of stuff, that um, can be difficult to discern sometimes, but sometimes it can be easy to discern. What happens when it's positive? So let's say someone gives you a prophetic word, and they're actually giving it to encourage you around something that you want to do, but actually the Lord has not said that. Yeah. It's something you want to do. It's uh -huh. something they want for you, but he actually hasn't said that. Yeah. Uh, how, do, how, you dis, how do you discern that kind of word that comes to you or discern how to give that word properly? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it perfectly makes sense. And actually, our next session is on understanding soulish prophecies, where I'm going to go, I'm going to actually spend the rest of this morning uh, session <laughs> answering that question. Yeah, so, so let me put a hold on that. Do we have another question? Yeah, and then another one behind you after that. Um, I just like some clarity on, like you said, like, do you fit the word or does the word fit you? Can you give yeah. me examples on that? Yeah. Well, let's say I'm going to use an extreme example. Let, let's say somebody has had both of their legs cut off and they, they've never learned how to walk with prosthetics and they get a word about running a marathon. Does it actually fit them? Is that just somebody's wishful thinking because they really want to see God do a miracle? Um, is that their, their pain? Maybe they, they feel that loss because they, they love to be athletic before they lost their legs. And now they're, they're feeling the loss of that. And they just wish that they could have the freedom just to be able to run. And so that maybe that's being picked up. Like it just doesn't actually fit the context. So that's lowercase w word. Not oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, the, the only big the uppercase is scripture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the way I heard it, so. Yeah, no, no, yeah. No, no, I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about a revelation. Like, here, here's something, that, you know, I feel like God has this for you. Um, you know, somebody that is, yeah, I was, I was talking to somebody 
a couple weeks ago come up to me, and he was explaining how he was a, uh, a, an in-depth mathematician and didn't understand artistic stuff. Like, he's written textbooks on mathematics, and he does math problems that I can't understand to keep his brain busy. Like, I don't have that kind of a brain whatsoever. You know, but if somebody started giving him a word about how he was going to be a world-class artist, it doesn't fit the context whatsoever. Right, now if somebody gave him a word about discovering a way of looking at numbers or looking at concepts and seeing how they fit together. Now all of a sudden, like that fits context. One doesn't, one does. Context, yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody that has, is a housewife with young kids is probably not going to get a word about being a martyr in Sudan. Right, that's the wrong context for that. Now, can God call somebody to be a martyr in Sudan? Most definitely, and he does. But, wrong context. Is it possible? It's very possible, but you're going to need a lot more than that to actually prove. Because it's so out of context, if it's actually God, there's going to be a lot more that's going to, you're, you're going to get to the point where it actually does fit the context to believe the word. Yeah. Yeah, and I think behind, yes, you got the mic. I have two questions, if that's okay. All right. The, the first one is um, just a little more clarity on what you're saying about relationship. Yeah. So, you know, you're here and you have prophetic words for us and we may or may not have a relationship with you. Are you saying that you're not going to get like directional prophecies if you don't have a relationship with someone? Because, you know, I'll be praying for someone that I don't know, and I'll get a little word, and I'll share that with them as I'm praying in the context of prayer, but I don't really have a relationship with them. Yeah. So are you saying, what are you saying about relationship yeah. and prophecy? That, that, that's a, a really good question. Um, so really talking about correction and direction, right? Um, there is, you, you can encourage anybody. Like I, I, was, I, I was with a friend that was graduating from college, and I saw a guy there, I mean, I, at the time, I had no idea what it meant. I now understand a little bit more, like he had all these lines that were on his robe and all this stuff. So he's got like multiple degrees. I did not know that at the time. But I just felt like I was supposed to tell him that God was really honored by how he'd used the brain that God had given him. And I'd never, I'd never introduced, never known him at all. I just walk up to this random guy I say, hey, I just want you to know that God's really pleased with how you have used your brain. He gave you that gift, and you've done well with it. And I just walked away. He's, he's never seen me before, never heard of me. Like, that's just encouragement. Like, there, there's no problem with encouragement. That, 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 that's one issue. But I, I'm not going to go up to somebody in that kind of a setting. Um, in an, in, I'm not going to go up to somebody in that setting. As soon as I say that, I hear, but... <laughs> but <laughs> um, and, and say, hey, you, you know, you, you've been sleeping around on your wife, and if you don't stop it, um, the Lord's going to be dealing with that. You know, is there ever a time for that, man? How do how do you know that? Are you are you are you accurate? Do you have the right to say something like that? Now, here's here's one of the things in, in a context like this. Um, I, I've been invited in and asked to speak 
and specifically speak on how to have relationship with God, how, how to hear him better. And so that gives me a level of relationship. Like there, there are certain things that, that I, I will recognize that I won't say anything about. But there's other things that I'm going to share because this relationship, I, I understand how this works. I understand what that means. Like there, there's a level. Some of it's going to be confirmation, a little bit of direction. Like the word that I gave Mark, um, you know, just about that, you know, the, the ministry and things opening up and just that, that piece. Like there, there was, it ended up being confirmation. I didn't know it at the time, it, it, but it, it ended up being that that fits. That would be very different than looking at somebody and saying, hey, um, you know, here's, here's the, one of the issues that you're dealing with, and here's another issue. And by the way, when you were four years old, this is what your dad did to you, and this was, like, that, that would be really wrong. I don't have the relationship. And then it, the relational context, like, what, what's the situation that I'm in? This, I mean, now I'm exposing somebody in front of a bunch of people, people that maybe they Maybe they don't want them to know that. Maybe there's not a reason to know that. Um, so if, if I have something on a one-to-one -one basis like that, um, I have one, I, I have a track record of thousands and thousands of prophetic words that have proven to be accurate. Um, so I, I have a little bit of a background to, to be able to know, one, if, you know, how, how, how clear the revelation is. And two, how important it is that I'm supposed to share it. I, I've, got, I've got a lot of history in making mistakes and seeing people respond really bad and then having grown, being mentored by other people and, and, and developing that. So there's a level of knowing how to steward that. But still, it, I, I don't have conversations in general, uh, especially if somebody that I'm going to be interacting with on a regular basis I'm actually more careful not to violate relationship. Random stranger, like there might be a possibility. But usually 99.99% of the time, it's going to be encouraging. It's going to be positive, right? But as somebody that, that's in my community, I'm going to only speak revelation according to the level of relationship that I have with them. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really being careful of using spiritual powers to manipulate. And, and, and really what, that, what that's coming down to is the nature of God. God is loving. God is a servant. So in what I'm doing, am I genuinely being loving? Am I genuinely serving this other person? No, I, I'm trying to fix them because they're messed up. No, 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 wrong. Nope, not allowed. It's not my job to fix the world. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're really glad because <laughs> I'd mess it up. <laughs> you know, but I mean, any of us would. Like, we, we, none of us, we, we don't have the capacity. I mean, and, and God's way of fixing the world has nothing to do with our way of fixing the world. If we were going to fix the world, we wouldn't choose to have somebody die a bloody death 2,000 years ago and then wait. I mean, just get rid of the evil. Like, there's evil. People are being hurt. People are, I mean, lives are ugly. Do something. He's like, no, I'm, I've got my reasons. I don't understand all those reasons. 
And so I've got to do the best to make sure that I don't violate what I do know because there's way too much that I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead. Are you sure? We have time. Okay. I think... Are you sure? Okay. I think a lot about um, emotional manipulation in churches. Mm -hmm. To be clear, not because of this church. (laughs) It's just something that really grieves me, and so I think a lot about it. Yeah. And I have a couple of girlfriends that were in abusive churches. Um, and one theory I have, that I, w- I kind of want to see if, you know, this is your experience, is so the churches I'm thinking about, they were really prophetic churches, and they were abusive because the leadership kept getting words that I would consider um, anti-biblical, you know, it'd be like extra biblical, and then you're kind of like moving into anti-biblical, and there is a gray Mm -hmm. area there where it's not so recognizable that it's anti, Um, and they would get so many words, and I I wonder how often do you see a mix between getting like real revelation, prophetic words that are meant to be shared, and that are, you know, for the edification of the body and direction, and a lot of words you know, like the pastor got a word that the women in the church, if a man in the church asks you out on a date, you have to go on the date at least one. You have to give him a shot if a man in the church asks you out. You know, I mean, blows your mind, and you, but you think like hundreds of women did that, so there yeah. must have been something there yeah. that was real. Or yeah. th- that's my, that's my yeah. theory. How often do you see like real words being spoken and then like that um thank you that's a really good definition of that actually uh when it comes to kind of directional like this is the way that we should do things a lot less than what i would like uh, there, there's a per, there's a significant um portion of those that are not correct versus that are correct. Uh, it, it's, I mean, part of it is that the people that do the, the, the incorrect, they tend to just do it a lot. Because they're, they're, doing, they're, they're feeding something. And so it becomes an addiction. And that's why it tends to get just a little bit more extravagant and a little bit more extravagant because to get that same thrill that sense of power, that sense of, you know, I'm special. You, you've got to one-up it. Because if you keep on doing it at the same level, you don't get the same thrill because it kind of loses its edge. It's exactly how an addiction works. It's an addiction. And so you've got to one-up it, one-up it, one-up it, one-up it. And hopefully there's somebody that's going to at some point say, you know, you've just gone too far. And that, that actually does happen. And I've seen people correct and come back. But then I've also seen people, when that happens, they just start pushing everybody away, and then they go way off the deep end. And uh, I've, 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 I mean, I could give you case studies, a um, couple people that I know personally, a couple people that I've studied that have names that be recognizable, um, and, and, and that, that is common. But at the same time, wh- what happens is that the people that are doing it in a healthy way, um, Two, two things. One, they're not trying to draw attention to themselves, so they're not as seen. And so they don't get as broadcast as much. They, they tend to be 
in congregations, and those congregations know about it, and they can feel it, and they can recognize it, but everybody else doesn't know about it because they don't really care. Um, so that, that's one thing. So they don't get as much noise, but then they also, they're not trying to feed an addiction. They're just serving. And uh, I'm convinced that God is speaking less than the prophets are. Um, I'm absolutely convinced, actually. I, I have no question on that. But the other thing is that most of the, the prophetic that happens uh, in, in, in healthy places is more encouragement and strength and identity. Um, they're, they're a corporate direction, but even, I mean, just go through Scripture and take a look. There, there's very little corporate direction through prophetic. God usually let leaders make choices. And there, there is some, but it's very little. Now, the next kind of level of prophetic that you see in Scripture is talking about things that are going to happen in the future. And there's a, there's a number of those, and some of them so vague, like it's, you, you got to really look to understand that it actually came to pass. Some of it's so clear that people argue that it had to have been written after it happened because there's no way anybody could have known that ahead of time. But the, the, the one that seems to be the most common, but it's just not talked about a lot because it's more individual, is just that encouragement, please. You know, um, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, strengthened the brethren with many words. It's Acts chapter 15, I think, verse 32. Um, so that, that, um, that is, that, you know, there were many words. We don't know any of those words, but there were many words, and... You know, Paul's telling the Corinthians, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. I'm sure they did that at least once. I mean, that, that's what, thousands of words? I mean, that, that church was not a small church. There, there was, you know, multiple thousands, some, some guess 15 to 20,000 in the church in Corinth. Um, so that, I mean, that, that's a lot of words, you know, going on there. Those aren't written in Scripture but they're not really words that need to be broadcast forever. They were for the moment, for the heart. And that tends to be the most of what actually shows up in the prophetic. Yeah. Hey. hey. Okay. So I've actually brought this up a year ago when you guys came, but I have prophetic dreams, I guess. <laughs> I, I do. Um, I'm a big dreamer. I dream all the time. So I try not to put too much stock into all my dreams because I want to be, I, I don't ever want to devalue words. Mm. I'm very careful with ever saying that I've had a word because I feel like if you say it too much, people devalue that, right? Like, I just want to be careful. Anyway, sensitive to it. But I have dreams and probably I'm 39. So in all my life, I've only told people my dreams probably like four times because I'm, again, I want to know it's the Lord, and I want to decipher the difference between them being for me to tell someone else, or are they just for me to pray? Mm. But my dreams are of almost like of the future, but okay. there's no, like, resolution in them. So, like, I don't know what to, like, I, I don't know how to decipher what to do with them. But does that make sense? Yeah. I've told, I've, last time I said I've had dreams about people being pregnant. Mm. I wait on it. I don't wake up thinking, oh, that was a spiritual dream. Sometimes I do, but I'm not going to just go run to that person and tell them my dream. Yeah. And then I'll wait on it, and if the Lord keeps bringing it back up is usually when I know I'm supposed to tell them. So I've told a couple of people that 
you know, hey, I had a dream. You're pregnant. And they're like, I'm not pregnant. And I'm like, okay, cool. Whatever. We drop it. Well, they were pregnant. <laughs> um, I've told a dream of something that happened the very next week. And I, but I just don't know, like, what the point or what it is. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I'm just trying to figure it out. Like, I mean, it's like verbatim what happens, like, the next week. It's crazy. And it's, like, it's so cool to see that. But, like, I just don't know, like, if the Lord, if I'm, maybe I need to go back to the Word and read about dreams. And, like you said, there's not always a resolution in those dreams. So I'm just, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if you can help me with this. Well, I I'm mean, just trying to figure it out, you know? Yeah, there, there's a lot of things. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of homework okay. and give you a little piece of advice. That's great. That's what I need. So the Elijah Task by John and Paula Sanford. Are you familiar with that? Mm. All right. Get familiar with it. Okay. That book is going to help you. Okay. The Elijah Task by John and Paula Sanford. Okay. Um, it is, yeah, it's one of the best books written on the prophetic. But it specifically ties in the prophetic with intercession and dreams. And remember the word last night mm -hmm. of intercession, like the gift that, that there's an intercessory gift in you. So you're getting stuff to pray, not to say. Okay. And that's bringing it back to the Lord. Lord, how do you want me to pray about this? What, what do you want me to pray about this? And then watching it happen. Okay. Um, that, that, that's, that's, that's one of the keys. I and mean, one, one of the things that you'll recognize is when people start asking you, that's when you'll know you're supposed to share. And, and one, of the, one of the things that we, we teach about, like, you know, I'll be, uh, actually, short plug. If anybody wants to come to the Hill Country in September, I'm going to be teaching The Art of Hearing God, which is a class that John Paul Jackson wrote on uh, going in depth. It's 21 hours of class time over a weekend. But one of the things we talk about in there is the um, understanding favor. And, you know, recognizing that... Um, Something like, you know, you, you've got a great brain. God gave it to you. He's proud of how you've used it. That doesn't take a lot of favor. That's encouragement. Something like this difficult thing is going to happen in your life or in your context, that takes a lot more favor because the person's, you know, you, you, they've got to actually believe. And, and the, the path to, to somebody taking action on it, one, there's, there's got to be credibility, Meaning the, the community around you has to recognize that there's actually real revelation um, and an accurate interpretation and application of that revelation that's proven itself consistently. Um, then two, the second step is, is character. Uh, character is, you know, how, how you operate with other people outside of, of that, how, how you operate within authority, how, how you operate uh, in your relationship, in your marriage, how you operate with people that you disagree with, what, what's your work life, and how do you interact with fellow employees, like character issues, uh, you know, how well do you love people that are not like yourself, uh, that, that's where character comes and, and we find it, um, and then the, the third part is, is favor. And, and favor is, it, it's, it's like this intangible thing. I mean, we, we, we call it a lot of different things. You know, some people call it charisma, um, not, not theologians, but like that idea, oh, they're very charismatic. Like there's something about them that makes people pay attention to them. Like there, there's this favor thing. And, and, and when you're looking at favor, there's two aspects of favor. It's favor with God, favor with God and favor with people. Right, favor with God just says that you have a gift. Favor with people tells you about the timing of the gift. 
So somebody can be the most gifted person in the world, but if people aren't giving them favor, giving them influence into their lives, then the timing is wrong. Um, so, and then favor, favor with people, it comes in, in two realms. It's, it's favor with the, the common people and then favor with the leadership. Uh, favor with common people but not favor with the leadership leads to Absalom. Right? Absalom started talking about how gifted he was and how he was going to help everybody get to God's will. Oh, if you would just come to me, I would give you justice because he'd watched his father David not treat his sister well after his sister got raped. And so he's like, that's not right. I'm going to save the people. Guys, if you just listen to me, it would be all better for you. And he ends up splitting the country. He had favor with the people, but he didn't have favor with the leadership. Right, David, when it was David's time, he had favor with the people, but he refused to do anything with it. He ran instead of splitting the country. And then when it was time for him to become leader, he asked the leaders, do you want me to be your king? And when the leaders invited him, then he came, and not until the leaders invited him. And so he actually had true authority. And recognizing how favor with people and favor with the leadership, if, until they come together, trying to operate in favor with the leadership, and you don't have favor with the people, you're not going to have any influence. All you're doing is you're using the leader's influence, and that may or may not be good. That might be good for counsel, but it's not good to try to be a leader because if you try to be a leader, you end up with what we often call Jezebel. Um, that, that somebody has favor with the leader, and they're using their gift to control the leader, but the people are, are, don't even realize who the actual leader is. But when you have favor with the people and you don't have favor with the leadership, then you can turn into Absalom. And, and when those two things come together, it's astounding how much can get accomplished. And so look, look for those things to come together. And then you'll recognize, one, how, how can you share these things? There, there's going to be a community that's going to give you feedback. They're going to help you to realize that that wasn't helpful. You know, if you share something and people are like, oh, that's interesting, and then they forget about it, and then it happens, and then you have to remind them, you didn't have favor in the first place. You weren't supposed to share it. That, that's a sign that lets you know, okay, so you had, you, that it was accurate. God's speaking to you. Cool. But it wasn't the right favor. You didn't have the right favor because they didn't remember it. If, if excuse me, if you have to remind people of what you said, you realize God hid it from them. If God wants them to give you influence, they're going to come back to you and say, you said this was going to happen, and this happened. Like, wow, this is amazing. Right? And so there's a different interaction that happens, and, and there, there's, it's, there's nothing, it's, it's an intangible. And, you know, we have this whole show, The X Factor. That's the intangible thing. Like, like this person is much better in the skill of what they're doing, but they're just not connecting. But this person, they, they don't have the same level of skill, but everybody connects with them. That's that, that favor thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. But that, that book, Elijah Task, is going to give you a lot more details in the navigation of those things and the, the prayer piece. And then it'll give you the steps in the proclamation. It's, I mean, it is the best book on the prophetic I've ever read. Um, it's one of the few books in the prophetic I've read more than once. So I've read probably 40 or 50 books in the prophetic, and that's the only one that I've read more than once. So 
Yeah. Uh, John and Paula Sanford. Yeah, The Elijah Task. It's an amazing book. Yeah, hey. Hi. So a little bit piggybacking off of that about dreams. Why do you think, this is a do you think question, why do you think God uh, gives us dreams that are like puzzles? You know what I mean? Like, like, for instance, and this is just an example, I have a dream that someone dies, a child dies. Typically, that doesn't mean the child is literally going to die. Mm -hmm. it, it means something else. Yeah. So, do what? The dream is dead. So <laughs> my question is, why does, is God doing that to draw us closer to him, to, to seek him out and to maybe uh, rely on other people, the, the group you have around you to kind of um, speak into that? Why does he do that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a big portion of it. Um, he is not as concerned with productivity as we are. Uh, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, the Western world has idolized productivity. And the church has grabbed hold of that, and we idolize it as well. We, we actually think that somebody that is um, ruining their family and ruining their body by being on the road 300 days out of the year is actually more spiritual than a monk that will sit in a room by himself and pray for eight or ten hours a day for, for years. Um, and, and it's actually upside down. <laughs> We're actually wrong in that thinking. That, that there's, there's something else there. So understanding that piece. If we can get that, actually get that, not just as a top-level thought that hasn't changed the way that we see things, but it actually becomes a way that we see things. Once that shift happens, then, then we start to recognize the purpose of revelation is not about us doing something. That's a byproduct, sometimes. It's about the relationship. And so God purposefully does things that require us to spend time with him because he's more interested in time with him than he has our, is our effectiveness. He could do whatever it is a lot easier and a lot faster without us. He does not need us whatsoever. He just happens to like us, so he uses us. And that, that, that's the whole reason. It's simply out of relationship. And so um, especially people that are, uh, have a tendency to get things done, he gives things that are a little bit more confusing, a little bit more metaphorical, a little bit more riddle-like so that it's harder for us to default and we actually have to spend that time with him. Because he's looking for the time. He's looking for us. He, he wants us, not what we can do. Yeah. John Paul tells this great story. Um, actually, I don't even know if we have this message around anymore. It was uh, in one of the old tape sets. But when his son Micah was like four or five years old, he was building a treehouse for, for Micah, and, and Micah, um, you know, he, he was just starting to reveal his Tourette's, he, he ended up having Tourette's syndrome, um, he was just starting to reveal his Tourette's, and he was very, uh, liked to be tactile, and liked to be involved in things, but, you know, four or five years old, doesn't have a lot of skill, actually, he might have been six or seven, um, but he, he's like, Dad, I'm going to help you build the treehouse, 
And he's thinking, this could be a two-hour job or a three-day job. <laughs> and he did the three-day job because he wanted to spend time with his son. That's our God. We think that we're this great gift to God. We're going to help him get things done. And it's actually it's going to be a little bit more difficult, but he likes us so much that he thinks it's worth it. <laughs>